Whenever you get down on yourself, preach the gospel to yourself. And remember who you are and what he has done for you. You are his precious possession that he loves beyond anything imaginable. Welcome to First and Foremost, a weekly broadcast of First Presbyterian Church in the heart of downtown Greenville. Senior Pastor Richard Gibbons invites you to join us as we study God's Word together and discover what is first and foremost in our lives. Let's go to Isaiah 62, and I'm going to be reading this morning the first five verses, and I remind you that this is the Word of God, and therefore we listen with great reverence. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. You will be called by a new name that the mouth of the Lord will bestow. You will be a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand, a royal diadem in the hand of your God. No longer will they call you deserted or, your, or the name your land desolate, but you will be called Hezebah and your land Beulah. For the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so your sons will marry you. And then listen to this. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride... So will your God rejoice over you. This is God's word. Would you join me as we pray? Oh, Holy Spirit, you inspired Isaiah to write these words. You showed Isaiah the glory of Christ. And you superintended his writing in such a way that what we have is what you intend. But we cannot understand it apart from your Holy Spirit opening our eyes to the spiritual truths that are here. And so I pray this morning that each of us in this room would yield ourselves to your Spirit and that you would show us the glory of Christ and the great hope that's ours because of it. For we make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, first of all, his determination. You pick it up in the first verse there. Look at it. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. Now, let me stop there. Zion, when you use the word Zion there, he's talking about the redeemed people of God. That's who Zion is referring to, the, the redeemed people of God. That's us. So you can substitute us in here, you see. For your sake, I will not keep silent. For Jerusalem's sake, I will not remain quiet till her righteousness shines out like the dawn, her salvation like a blazing torch. Do you sense the force here? Do you sense God's determination? I will not be silent. I will not remain quiet. There is a determination here. It points to his sovereign will and his sovereign power. And for the sake of his people, God will act. 
And he is determined, listen, he is determined to have a people who will spend all eternity with him. It's his redeemed people, and that's what he's speaking about here. Remember that I've said before that the gospel is not about what we do for God. It's about what God does for us. That is so fundamental and basic to the message of Christianity. That's what sets Christianity apart from every other religion in the world. And there are still many who sit in churches like ours who years after years after years of sitting in churches like this under the preaching of the Word still don't get it. You see, religion teaches that we, it's, it's about what we do for God. That's what religion teaches. Christianity says, no, it's about what God has done for us. He comes to us. The emphasis is on God's acting, God's actions. And thus, God's redeemed people, what he's saying is, are destined for glory, and nothing can prevent that from happening. Now, why is this so significant? What is significant about this to us? Let me tell you why this is so important. Because it says to you and me, we have absolute security for all eternity. You know, one of the most basic needs of human, of, of mankind, one of the most basic needs is the need for security. And I'm going to tell you, when you get the gospel, you're secure. Because you're in the hands of God. Jesus said, no one can snatch you out of my hands. No one. Paul in Romans 8 says, there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God that's in Christ Jesus. Nothing. Neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities. Nothing. We are secure because of God's determination. And he will stop at nothing to ensure that our righteousness shines like the dawn and our salvation like a blazing torch. That's what he's saying. In. But then we move next. Two and three. The nations will see your righteousness. Now I want you to circle that. Your righteousness. The nations will see your righteousness. And all kings your glory. Circle your glory. Your righteousness, your glory. You will be called by a new name. Circle that one. A new name. That the mouth of the Lord will bestow. And you will be a crown of splendor. Circle that one. A crown of splendor in the Lord's hand. A royal diadem, circle that one. Did you get them? Your righteousness, your glory, a new name, a crown of splendor, a royal diadem. We're told the nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. Now, we got to stop here. Critical point, critical question. Where does our righteousness come from? Remember what I said a little while ago, people who don't understand Christianity are people who are steeped in religion and they're constantly, constantly trying to earn God's favor. Christianity says, no, God comes to us and he acts. Where does our righteousness come from? It is the righteousness of Christ. It is the beauty of Christ. It is his righteousness that is given to us. You know, the old, I love the, the old theologians wrote about this righteousness. And they called it 
alien righteousness. Now that really confused people today, wouldn't it? Alien right? You start thinking about extraterrestrial beings or something like that. Alien right? Now let me show you what they meant by that. They meant it was a righteousness that didn't come from within, but it came from without. That's what he's talking about here. It is a righteousness, not that we ever can create inside of ourselves. We can never do it. We can never be righteous enough. But it's a righteousness that comes from the outside. Where does it come from? It comes from Christ. And his righteousness is given to us. And therefore, Paul says that it is Christ who is able to present us holy and blameless and undefiled. That's where our righteousness comes from. It's the righteousness of Jesus, technical word, imputed, credited, given to us. The nations will see your righteousness and all kings your glory. But there's even more. He goes on here to say not only is he going to provide our righteousness and our glory, but he's going to provide for us a new name. Did you see that? God promises to give us a new name. Now, there is a fundamental tool for interpreting, a fundamental principle for interpreting the Bible. And this fundamental principle is this. We have to let Scripture interpret Scripture. All of us in seminary learn that. It's a fundamental. So when he talks about this new name, we have to go to the Scripture. What is he talking about, a new name? And you go to the Scripture, and you go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, and twice, twice, in the opening chapters of Revelation, God promises his people a new name. First, you find it in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17, where God says, I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it. All right, that still doesn't help us a whole lot, does it? But then you come to chapter 3, and he develops it a little bit more there. Chapter 3, verse 12, he says, him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. And then listen, I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. So what is this name that we have been promised? What is this name that we've been given? The name of God and the name of his city. The name of God. What does this mean? We are his possession. We are marked with his name. We're his. See it? His name put upon us. His name is engraven in our hearts, as one passage of Scripture says it. But also the city of our God. What's that? Our destiny. That's where we're headed. Guaranteed. The name given to you and the name given to me, the name of my God and the name of his city are engraven in us, marking our ownership that we belong to him, that we are his. Incredible to think about his great love. He gives us a new name. But then there's even more. Look at the passage. 
it says that we will become a crown of splendor in the Lord's hand and a royal diadem in the hand of your God. Two things there. He says, I will give you, I will, in, in God's, now notice first, it's in God's hand. Now, I want you to follow this carefully. He says, in the hand of God, you are going to become a beautiful crown and a royal diadem. A beautiful crown, now notice in the hand of God. Two weeks from now, I'm going to take you over two more chapters, over two more chapters in Revelation, and we're going to see what that means. How God is the potter and we are the clay. And in his hand, he is molding us and making us into the image of his son. These two images, a crown, picture that a minute, a crown, a beautiful crown filled with diamonds and jewels, beautiful. God says, in my hand, that's what you are. And a royal diadem. In my hand, that's what you are. These two images point to those things of greatest beauty and value, the crown and the scepter. And God is saying that in his hands, that's what he makes of us. It is a beautiful, beautiful picture of what he's given us. He provides Christ's righteousness, Christ's glory, a new name. We become a masterwork of his in his hands as he molds us and shapes us. The next two weeks, I'm going to be talking about this, how God molds us and shapes us. Next week, I'm going to show you how even in our times of deepest trouble and distress that God is with us and he feels what we feel. We have a great high priest who sympathizes with us. And how we grow through that, how God is molding us. And then to the last passage, we'll look at how he's the potter and we're the clay. He's molding us into his image. That's what he's done for us. Now, I don't know about you. Does that not excite you? Does that not cause your heart to throb? Do you understand? You know, you know God... But so many times he'd look at his people and they're out there just striving and they're going and going and he'll say, be still and know that I'm God. I guess what I'm saying to you this morning is be still and look at what God has done for you. That's who he's made you. That's what he's provided for you. We Christians, it, I tell you, it's so frustrating to me. I see so many, so many people who profess the name of Christ who are absolutely, they're defeated. I want to tell you something. When you get the gospel, it changes your countenance. It changes your countenance. Because the gospel produces in you that deep sense of joy, a deep sense of peace that nothing else can give to you. It changes you. And I look out at so many Christians, and we just see so many defeated Christians. We see so many who've become steeped in religion. We see so many who've forgotten the wonder of the gospel, who've forgotten the beauty of Christ. You know how David longed for that one thing that he wanted more than anything else, to dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of his life so he could see the beauty of the Lord. 
Oh, so many of us Christians have lost the beauty of the Lord. And we've lost sight of how he views us, which brings me to the last point. How does he view us? Look at verses 4 and 5. No longer will they call you deserted or name your land desolate, but you will be called Hezebah and your land Beulah, for the Lord will take delight in you and your land will be married. As a young man marries a maiden, so will your sons marry you. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. You see, the gospel, I'll say it again, is about a change of status. We weren't, once were not righteous, but now we are righteous. We once lacked glory, but now we have glory. We once had one name, but now we've got another name. It's about a change of status. That we have become a crown and royal diadem in the hand of our God. But now as he moves into this passage, he's telling us that there's a change in our relationship with God. And it comes in the, in the force of four, four words, four names that are found here. Now look, look at the verse and you'll find four names. And you'll notice that uh, the, the first two are translated already for you. And you'll find the word deserted. It's got a capital D. Do you see that? Deserted. And then skip down a little bit and you'll see the word desolate. See that one? And then you'll come down and see the two words that aren't translated. Hezebah and Beulah. First word, deserted. There's a Hebrew word, azuba, that meant deserted, forsaken. And then the second word, desolate. And then the word Hezebah. What was that? I'm going to give you the translation. Translation means, my delight is in her. My delight is in her. And the fourth word is Beulah. And that word means married. Married. Did you get them? Got to get those, got to get those words. Deserted, desolate, my delight is in her, married. Now, what is God saying here? God's redeemed people will no longer be called deserted and forsaken and their land desolate, but they will be called, my delight is in her and their land married, carrying the idea of God's provision, God's care, God's ownership. Are you seeing the change of status that we have? We're no longer forsaken, but God takes delight in us. We're no longer desolate, but God has brought us into a relationship. Listen, here's the other thing. I told you, security is one of the most basic needs of mankind. And in the gospel, that need for security is met in in your relationship with Jesus Christ. You are secure in him because you're in the palm of his hand, and nothing can get you out of the palm of his hand. But I'll tell you the other most basic need is security, is significance. We want to be noticed. We want to matter. Do you understand what I'm saying to you here? God says you matter to him. God says you matter to him. You no longer are forsaken. Look at it. You no longer are forsaken. You no longer are desolate. 
but my delight is in you. God delights in us. Can you imagine that for a moment? That God actually takes note of us, much less that God delights in us. But then let me bring it on down even deeper here to show you this. Look at the last part of that verse. As a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will your God rejoice over you. I wish I had a record of the 40-plus years of ministry that I've been involved in of every wedding I have done. It's a bunch of them, I'll tell you. At a wedding, my favorite person to watch is not the bride. Everybody looks at her. You know who I like to look at? I like to look at the groom. You know, usually I'm standing down here and the groom is right there to my left and I always am watching. The procession comes in and they all, oh. but then that music starts and the door open and the bride walks in. I could tell you some funny stories. I had one guy who was a little bit, he was shorter than I was, and he couldn't see his bride coming down the aisle, so he couldn't stand it. He ran across the front of the church, and he just looked down the aisle, and he's looking at her with tears in his eyes and this huge smile on his face. Do you understand that that's what is being said about us here? Do you realize that when God's story comes to an end, it's a wedding. It's a wedding. Paul, I use this verse all the time in weddings, where it says, Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself for. And the verse goes on to say, Love the church as Christ gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water with the word to present to himself a radiant church without stain or blemish or any such thing. Side note here, the reason marriage is so sacred is because it's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the gospel. And you get to the end of God's story is this glorious wedding feast. You come to Revelation 19, and Revelation 19 says, Let us rejoice and be glad and give him glory. For the wedding of the Lamb has come, and his bride has made herself ready. Fine linen, bright and clean, was given to her to wear. Now, I know this. Anybody here who's ever put on a wedding, it takes a lot of work and preparation. And the day of the wedding, it takes a lot of work and preparation to get the bride ready, doesn't it? You've got to go buy the right dress. You've got to get your hair fixed. You've got to get your makeup right. You got to get the right dress. Let me tell you what I'm saying to you. Here's the gospel. The bridegroom Jesus is the one who dresses his bride in his beautiful raiment, his righteousness. That's the picture. And then you find the last, very end, Revelation 21 says, I saw... The holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for a husband. 
Here's what I'm saying to you this morning. Christ is the bridegroom. We're the bride. He's prepared us. He's prepared us. His righteousness is our righteousness. His radiance is our radiance. His glory is our glory. He's prepared us. And there he is, waiting, looking, rejoicing over his bride. Listen, whenever you get down on yourself, preach the gospel to yourself and remember who you are and what he has done for you. You are his precious possession that he loves beyond anything imaginable. That's who we are. Do you see it? Now, if you see it, arise and shine, right? <laughs> Be radiant. Let's remember who we are. Let's pray. Father, we give you thanks again for this glorious passage. And I pray this morning that even in these feeble attempts that I've made this morning to unpack the meaning, it's so much more that's there. And I pray that your spirit would speak to us, that you would take us where we are. Some here are discouraged. Some here have lost focus. Some are laden with guilt, and they've lost hope. Lord, this morning, may the gospel, the light of the gospel, come like dynamite and blow all that away. And may we see Jesus in his beauty, the bridegroom. And may we see ourselves as his bride, beautifully adorned, awaiting that day when we will be united with him forever and ever in all eternity in his glory. Love divine, all love's excelling. There is no way to define how great a love this is. We make this prayer in Jesus' name. Amen. Have you missed a Sunday? Go to our website to watch previous broadcasts, download a podcast, or purchase a CD or DVD. And don't forget to connect with First Pres by liking us on Facebook and Twitter, signing up to receive emails, or requesting prayer online.